Grab that popcorn and pop in the DVD. How have the images of doctors and movies changed over the years? And what does that say about us? And what can we learn from that? You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is a very special guest, Dr. Glenn Flores, Professor of Pediatrics and Public Health at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, but he is also our profession's expert on how we look in the movies. Welcome, Glenn. Thank you, Michael. When we're talking about movies, give us a quick overview about how our images have changed from the 20s and 30s till today. Just a couple sentences. Have we gotten better or worse? Do we look better or worse, or have we become more greedy? Sure. Our analysis of 131 films over a number of decades indicates that early on, from the 20s to the 50s, film physicians were predominantly portrayed in a positive light. Uh, but since the 1960s, there's been a general decline in positive portrayals and a steady increase in negative portrayals. I'd like to spend a little time, if we could, focusing on certain movies. I want to talk about Redbeard. When you sent me your article, your list of the best movies, and number one was Redbeard, 1965, Akira Kurosawa. I had never heard of it before. Yeah, th- this is uh, a movie that powerfully presents several timeless themes about medicine and life. The film, directed by the acclaimed director Akira Kurosawa, tells the story of Dr. Yazumoto, who starts off as an arrogant young physician in 1800s Japan. He's from a well-off family, and he's destined for a position treating the rich as part of the shogun's medical team. He thinks he's just getting a tour of a charity clinic for the severely impoverished, where he meets this very stern Dr. Nide, who's also known as Redbeard, and he's played by the famous Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune. And Dr. Yazimoto is then shocked to learn that he actually has been assigned to the clinic, and he's dis- disappointed and insulted by this, but after some time at the clinic, he finds himself unexpectedly moved by the depth of human suffering and misery by the slow death of a patient who devoted himself to helping the less fortunate. The next day, Yazimoto dedicates himself to caring for the underserved and becomes a part of the community, and then the following day, Redbeard drags him to a brothel to rescue an abused child who becomes Yazimoto's first patient. He helps her overcome an illness, but then Yazimoto also falls ill. In return, the girl cares for Dr. Yazimoto, and the convalescence and his experiences transform him and force him to turn his back on his plans for a glorious but empty future at the Shogun's court. Instead, Yazimoto comes to realize that the only good is living for the sake of others, and he stays on with Dr. Nide at the poor clinic, the place where he's needed most. Although the film was considered a masterpiece in Japan and won numerous international awards when released, it surprisingly has received little attention or honors in the United States. I know. I, I watched it. I got it from uh, Amazon after I saw it on your list, and I was astounded. This, if I were going to show one movie to medical students and doctors across the country, it would be this film. I totally agree. What I was astonished by it was, first of all, it was done in 1965. Second of all, it was done in Japan. And third of all, it portrays Japan in the 19th century. Yet, I felt like if you take away the kabuki acting and the costumes, I felt like I was watching American medicine at our, at our current stage of development. Precisely. And it, it's just a fabulous film. I, I, think it, I think all of our listeners should grab a copy of it and read it, and yet it's so far away. So what does that say to you about how certain themes transcend cultures and ages? And, and the movies can help us do that. Yeah, I just think it shows, as you pointed out, it's powerful, even though it's a very distant setting, both in, in time and geography, certain concepts. You know, it's not a modern physician with, with modern medicines and, and procedures. It really gets to the heart of, of being a physician and challenges you to think about why are you a physician and how can you do your best for the world as a physician. 
and you know it's it's a masterpiece from every angle. They actually it took them a year to film it because you know they were so meticulous about every scene. It also, interestingly, was the last time that uh, the director Kurosawa and the actor Toshiro Mufuni were were together. They never made a film together again, and, and it was you know an amazing partnership. And so, at so many levels, it's it's a masterpiece, but it's also such a, a piece of beauty. And that was the ephemeral, which is also a Japanese concept. So I think at so many levels, it's a masterpiece. And as you say, it must see. It really is. And it's still available. Mm-hmm. You can get it on disc. Another one that was kind of mentioned in your papers here, but I think is also a masterpiece, if you want to comment on it, if you remember it, is the movie Restoration with Robert Downey. It's kind of the same theme. It's kind of the doctor who happens to be in the restoration period of England who has this opportunity to suddenly befriend the king and has a, has a fall from grace and really finds out what it's like to be a physician and, and be caring for people and for himself. Yeah, I agree. That That's another classic. And I think, you know, that now that you're saying that, thinking about sort of my top ten list of the best, there are a number of films like that where there, there's a transformation that occurs. And this is different from what we talked about earlier, where it was, you know, somebody who, who was negative to the core and then suddenly becomes positive. I think there's, there's more there in terms of the depth and the transformation. And you see people transform on a variety of levels in movies like The Hospital with, with George C. Scott and, and State of Emergency with Joe Mantegna. And so I think those are some of the most powerful movies you can see as a physician. Well, I think they're also powerful tools to be used as, as so many of our colleagues feel burned out and get turned away and, and, and forget about why they became doctors. And it's not always their fault. It's easy in today's system to get so cynical and burned out. I think we should have like a movie course in hospitals to remind us of who we are. Excellent idea. I vote for that, too. Well, you can put it together because you're the master, and then we could like send it around like a dog and pony show. Sure. If you were going to pick out a couple movies that were bad, that you thought really portrayed doctors incorrectly, what would they be? You know, it's hard for me to avoid the unintentional humorous side. So I think my all-time favorite, because it's, it's both so unintentionally humorous and also so inaccurate, would have to be somewhat obscure movie. It, unfortunately, there are other movies with that same name, so you have to really search for this one, but it, it's, it's a 1998 movie called The Patriot, and it, and it stars the wonderful actor Steven Seagal. And, uh, you know, so when you need a doctor really kicks butt, he's your man. It, it, he played this physician whose name was uh, R. Wesley McLaren, Ph.D. M.D., and uh, he heads up the Montana Wellness Center, which uh, specializes in family practice and holistic therapy. In addition to that, of course, he's a Native American cowboy, a single father, and a former world-famous government immunologist. And what happens in this movie is when a paramilitary extremist releases a highly contagious viral agent called NAM-37, which apparently has ten times the potency of anthrax, McLaren has to develop a cure and, of course, fight extremists in hand-to-hand combat and with firearms. I think among the more unintentionally humorous segments that uh, obviously aren't very accurate, McLaren diagnoses a patient with quote, severe edema of the abdomen and liver before he actually even palpates the patient's abdomen. He uses a light microscope to examine a virus, develops a treatment for the virus in one evening's work, which, of course, almost instantly cures patients. And then uh, my favorite scenes is uh, McLaren ends up killing the paramilitary chief with a stem of a wine glass, and then he does a flip through a plate glass window holding his rescued daughter wrapped in a blanket. And then the cure is derived from a traditional Native American herbal therapy and consists of a tea or injection of a red flower distillate. And so your, your final very uproarious scene is a whole army troop is shown collecting red flowers and biohazard gear and the entire community is saved when U.S. Army helicopters shower the town with red flower petals, which the inhabitants are instructed to use to treat themselves with cups of tea. 
Well, don't half the people call up and he's on the phone because they're requesting generics? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does he have time for that? <laughs> and to fill out all the paperwork for his patient's disabilities? <laughs> Any others that come to mind that we kind of have to laugh at? Uh, well, there, there are a whole host of films. Uh, another one, again, that I think was unintentionally humorous, it's a 1991 film called Body Parts. A psychologist named Bill Krushenk is played by Jeff Fay. He loses his arm in a car accident, but receives a, an arm transplant by Dr. Agatha Webb, who is transplanting body parts harvested from convicted killers. So after Krushenk recovers, he finds his killer's arm actually has a life of its own, forcing him to strike his wife and murder the surgeon and anesthesiologist who performed his operation. Krushenk then sets out to discover other recipients of transplants from the donor, what turns out was a serial killer. And the serial killer's head is transplanted onto someone else's body, and the killer starts systematically slaughtering each transplant recipient to get back his body parts. Krushenk eventually kills the resurrected serial killer, and perhaps the most humorous segment of the film was when Krushenk asked Dr. Webb to detach his rogue arm transplant, but she refuses because it would endanger her accomplishments, to which Krushenk screams, Can't you see this arm is killing me? Yeah, I see we go from the sublime to the ridiculous here. Do you think the public, when they see movies like this, really gets bad images of doctors, or do they laugh at this and see that it's a comedy? For the most part, it doesn't necessarily affect the public's views. You know, for example, we looked at medical inaccuracies, and, and we found them in about 30% of physician films, and basically it fell into three categories. So one was unrealistic depiction or views of physicians or their practice. Then there's scientifically unsubstantiated therapeutic interventions, and then there are finally factual errors. And I personally doubt that the inaccuracies have any substantive impact on the public's perception of health care because these inaccuracies are either blatantly silly or noticeable only to healthcare professionals. And in the latter category, for example, in Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman from 1992, a C-section is performed in 45 seconds. In City of Angels from 1998, cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Maggie Rice, who's played by Meg Ryan, performs incorrect cardiopulmonary resuscitation on an infant and later calls an echocardiogram and ultrasound. And oncologists are called surgeons and do surgery in Sun Chaser from 1996. And then there's a 1997 film, When the Bullet Hits the Bone, where major trauma surgery is shown being performed on a patient who clearly is not even intubated. I have, I have two more questions for you before we have to end this segment. Do you think that the movies really reflect cultural ideas that are being distorted? Or do you think that Hollywood knows that if they put these kind of doctors in films, they'll sell more tickets? Or are they really reflecting society? Is it, is it about making money for them or that they're just ticked off at us? Yeah, I think you're right on target when you say that the themes are motivated by what sells theater tickets. And if this includes dissing doctors, I think it's just an added bonus for Hollywood. For example, our study of 131 doctor movies revealed that the film industry is preoccupied with sex, violence, and youth. Psychiatrists, for example, had sexual intercourse with their patients in about one-third of all movies in which the psychiatrist is the main character in almost half of all such movies released in the 1990s. That was my last question. How come psychiatrists are always having sex with their patients? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's uh, an excellent question. I think what we're seeing is that sex and power continue to be entertaining and fascinating, and I think that's whether we're talking movie or TV audiences in the U.S. or internationally. I think that's whether you're talking about psychiatrists or lawyers or, or any main character. So that's the only explanation I can come up with. The psychiatrist-patient relationship is so concentrated in terms of how in-depth one gets into somebody's psyche, and there's also a certain power in the relationship. And and so I think Hollywood just gets titillated by that, and, and that leads them to, to want to think about sex. Of course, when you talk about sex in American culture, you want to talk about violence, and trauma actually was the second most common diagnosis encountered by movie physicians, and 
The traumatic conditions were of particularly violent nature, so they included gunshot wounds, traumatic amputations, severe fractures, and trauma from severe motor vehicle accidents. Another interesting fact is that I think a movie viewer also would be left with the impression that physicians are an unusually youthful bunch since 58% of movie physicians are under the age of 40 years, but in contrast, uh, the facts are that about 55% of U.S. physicians are, are at least 45 years old. So, again, the, the not uncommon preoccupation with sex violence in youth is coming from Hollywood. Well, Glenn, thanks for being our guest today and discussing Doctors on the Silver Screen. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. We thank you for listening, and we give two thumbs up to Dr. Glenn Flores for giving us this wonderful overview of movies.